Hey, my name is Robert Morrison, and this is the Things That Matter To Me podcast. Um, and I'm once again here chatting about music. I know this whole idea started with, you know, one topic at a time uh, for like a month. That didn't re- really work out um, because I decided that I wanted to do other things. And since this is my podcast, that's what I'm going to do. So <laughs> um, continuing to talk about the topic of music, which is a, a major important one for me and for many other people. Um, and I have another guest with me here today. I have a good friend of mine um, that I've known for a very, very, very long time, um, which is weird to say because I don't feel like I'm old enough to have known someone for a very, very, very long time, but I suppose I am. Um, so here with me I have today uh, Mr. Aaron Busey. Aaron, say hello to everybody. Hello, everyone. <laughs> um, so Aaron is here to chat about um, music from multiple perspectives. He has had the opportunity to work um, in various, uh, I guess, areas of music um, across um, multiple genres and types and interests. So we're going to talk about all that kind of stuff. Um, so Aaron, let's start at the very beginning. Um, mm-hmm. a, a little bit about your musical background, sort of growing up as a kid and uh, what your sort of formative years were like as a musician. <laughs> I feel like some people grow up in really musical households uh, and other people don't grow up in very musical households. I feel like we were kind of in between. Like, I had parents that enjoyed music and I remember cranking music up really loud on a Saturday as we were all cleaning the house as a family. Um, but I don't think that I started playing an instrument until I started taking piano lessons at 9 or 10. Um I certainly remember, you know, singing in church and being involved in as much music as you can in elementary school and junior high. Um, And my parents certainly were involved with music at church and all that. Um, But I do distinctly remember feeling when I was five or six, like, I think I want to do music. And (laughs) I don't know what that means or how that would look, but I think I want to do music as like a career. Right, which for (laughs) anybody who knows you would not be surprised that you would have that sort of thoughtfulness at, at five years old. Well, I don't know. But, <laughs> um, yeah, so I think taking piano lessons was kind of the first place where music, um, more than just appreciating and enjoying it as a listener, kind of took shape for me. Um, I was really lucky to have a good piano teacher that cared about um, not just teaching me how to read music, but um, to learn music theory. Um, she really cared about playing by ear and playing by feel. Um, one of the stories that I tell often is that I was in a piano lesson with her and playing, and she, who was probably 300 years old, um, <laughs> approximately, approximately um, grabbed my piano book off of the piano and chucked it across the room and said, I don't want you to play the music. I want you to feel the music. <laughs> you're like five years old. And you're well, like, what are you talking yeah, about? Yeah, <laughs> I was nine and I remember very, like, it being very difficult to not instantly burst into tears because <laughs> I was just like, well, I don't know what you mean. <laughs> um, but I do feel like that that um, helped me to kind of understand music a little bit more um, and to set the stage for other things. Um, and and that's when I got a guitar for my 13th birthday. Um, I, I, think, I seem to remember that, actually. <laughs> yes, because I, I was think here. you and your father were involved in helping to select it, I yes. believe. Yes, we went to Guitar Center 
Because you guys were in in Fort Mill at that yeah, point, right? And so we went to the Guitar Center probably in Matthews, which yeah. I wouldn't have known at the time because no. I, I didn't you live didn't there, live but now here. I do. Exactly. Um, so that's funny. Yeah. Um, so got a guitar for my 13th birthday, took lessons for a month, and that guitar teacher was nothing like my piano teacher. He was <laughs> not a good teacher. And I thought, you know what? I might just stick with piano. I'm, I'm over this yeah. whole guitar thing. Um, and then... We went up to your guys' house for Thanksgiving. I don't think I've ever told you this. We went mm. up to your guys' house for Thanksgiving that year. Um, so I don't, I don't, I'm trying to think when that would have been. I, maybe when I was 13 or 14, I can't remember exactly mm -hmm. when that would have happened. But I remember you and your dad playing guitar all the time, but your uncles were there okay. who were like insanely talented. Um, yeah, players. my one uncle would have been. Uh, my uncle John would have been the musician, um, okay. and Mike probably played a little bit, but was not been would not have been the same level of of uh, musician as, I, as John. Though I remember him like sight reading tabs mm -hmm. and doing alternate tunings while he was playing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I seem to remember that it was like I I had a bunch of like I I we used to buy those music books with the. <laughs> Uh, with the tabs and the chords and stuff, that was how I learned to play guitar. Because I was, I did the same kind of thing where I was like, eh. I did lessons for like six months, and I was right. like, I don't really want to learn to play all the, all these <laughs> scales and stuff. Right. I just want to be able to string Rock. songs. And <laughs> so I, I remember it was. I seem to remember it was like the Stephen Curtis Chapman, uh, <laughs> probably. What was it? Speechless. It was the Speechless <laughs> guitar book, and he's just pulling out. He's never heard these songs. He doesn't know what they are, and so he just starts playing them at. At random, and we're like, and I'm like, why? How do you? Because <laughs> I thought that you needed to know how a song went in order to play it. That was how I learned. That so. does make sense. Yes. So I do remember that that happening. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I, I remember going home from that and going, I think I want to like actually play guitar <laughs> now. Um, I knew that I probably was not ever going to get to the, that level, sure. <laughs> but at least to be able to play, um, there's obviously something that's a little bit more easy to transport about a guitar than a piano right, and right, all right. of that. Um, but yeah, so I started really practicing guitar, woodshed stuff, um, for a couple hours a day. Do we need to stop? No, you're fine. Okay. Um, a couple hours a day, um, and I think I was three months into playing guitar, like, a couple hours a day when my youth pastor asked me to help come and lead worship during a, a Sunday night for the youth group. And I realized on the way there that um, the guy who was in charge of leading worship was out of town. And oh. so my <laughs> youth pastor was not asking me, can you help lead worship? He was asking me, can you lead worship? Um, and you'd been playing guitar for like three months, three months. <laughs> <laughs> so I knew all the you know the standard G C D E minor <clears throat> all that. enough to get you by exactly. Um, so I had to kind of quickly put together set list with my mom and figure out how to actually transition songs, all that. I didn't have a guitar strap, so I literally stood with my foot up on a chair, Captain Morgan style, and played guitar the first time I led worship. very uncomfortable. It uh, did the trick, you know? I think it was four songs or five songs, something like that. So that's that's really been the, the trajectory of <coughs> music since wow. childhood to, you know, basically. And from there, <laughs> the rest of the story. Well, it's all uphill from there. Really. Well, I hope so. <laughs> That'd be not a, not a place to go downhill from. Yeah, not so um, all right, so moving into sort of more young adulthood mm -hmm. and 
into now, what was the sort of, you don't have to tell your entire life story, but sort of the, the major high points of, of your musical education from at that from that point on, what did those look like for you? Yeah, so, I mean, I felt like worship was a pretty big education of, you know, Wednesday night and a Sunday morning are coming up whether you're prepared or not, so you need to prepare and you actually <laughs> need to do it. Um, that was in the youth group, but also having the opportunity to get to play in church with other adults who were um, gifted musicians who helped kind of guide and instruct and give me some pointers, those kinds of things, um, were, was really instrumental. Um, I was in a band in the high school, um, so we were writing and singing and playing out pretty regularly. That'll, you know, get you working and practicing. Right. For sure. <laughs> Um, so did that, um, was leading worship a lot, um, I decided after high school to take a year off to help with a church plant and lead worship, and then, um, when I did my year there, I went to Full Sail in Orlando for recording arts and music business, because I thought, okay, I'm gonna move to Nashville, obviously I'm gonna be famous, so, right, sure. um, let me get some kind of education about how the music industry works, and so that I'm not just showing up in Nashville and waiting tables like every other songwriter and artist. Um, so I got my degree and Kelly and I got married and then we moved to Nashville and I started an internship at a record label there called N-Pop that was an independent Christian record label. Um, and we did, uh, we were there for a couple months when I realized pretty quickly, I don't think I actually want to be an artist. Um, <laughs> I like working in the music industry, I like leading worship, but I don't know that I actually want to be a touring musician like did I, you meet, I thought. So did you meet like one person and, and you were like, I don't, I don't want to be them for the rest of You don't have to... Um, it wasn't one person, <laughs> I think it was just in general. The general uh, sense of general being sense, an artist in yeah. the... Yeah. <laughs> Probably not as glamorous as it, as it looks. No, it's certainly not. Just like everything, it wears off pretty quickly. Yeah. Alright, and then from, from there, you guys moved to Liverpool, right? Yeah. So what was the story with, with that? Yeah, so I saw um, that Acts 29, a church planning network, was looking for interns in Western Europe, and because Kelly and I were not necessarily in a career, uh, and and felt like Nashville had been a, a good place for us to be, but had been a little bit of a struggle to get connected, and um, even to serve within the church that we were a part of. Um, started looking for other opportunities of like, okay, what what does this mean? Are we supposed to stay in Nashville or are we supposed to move on? And so when I saw that Acts 29 was looking for uh, interns in Western Europe, I sent it to Kelly and just said, maybe we should quit our job, sell our stuff, and move out of the country. And she sure. said, okay, um, which was a bit of a surprise. <laughs> it's and, a normal thing that people say all the time, right? Kelly wasn't a huge fan of change, and so when she said, okay, let's at least apply and see where it goes, I was like, all right, I guess we need to maybe give it a try. Um, so I did, and um, that progressed over 18 months of us figuring out, like, okay, what does a visa look like? What's it look like to be support-based, and what's it look like to move to a different country? So we showed up in Liverpool in February of 2014, and I was um, there to kind of help learn and grow and serve within the worship team. And um, what I didn't realize when I got over there was that it was going to be um, not just leading worship, but kind of overseeing worship for two churches, a church, the kind of main church and a, a recent church plant. Um, and then while we were there, it kind of progressed into 
leading worship in the main church, leading worship at the church plant, helping to launch another church plant, and then also being kind of a, a person that people in the community came to as far as development and worship was concerned uh, at other churches. So that's how we ended up in Liverpool. Nice. And then you guys have been back in the States for yeah, how long now? A year. Is it, has it been a year? Yep. Gracious. A year in May. Yep. Pretty crazy. Um, and he's and now he's looking for a job. So if anybody <laughs> is listening to this and has a, a, a you know full time yeah. church gig that Aaron could could have, I'm sure he'd be more than happy to to uh, to take that up, I'll take you up on that. Um, in the meantime, I'm I'm happy to have him around to to help me with 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 stuff at the at our at our church um, for now. But um, so you've talked a lot about the the worship side of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wanted to talk about um, a little bit about the sort of difference for you in your mind between um, worship music and church and stuff outside of, of, of the church mm-hmm. um, and sort of your approach when you think about not, you know, whatever you want to, however you want to interpret it, songwriting or uh, the sort of quote unquote performance element of it, which I, mm-hmm. I know is a, a, a shaky subject for people in the sort of worship realm where they, and you bring that, you say that P word and everybody's like, Oh, well, hold on a second now. Um, so I don't know what your, what thoughts you have on, on your approach in, in any of those areas as far as the, the two and how they, um, how they work together or don't work together. Yeah. Um, I, I think that ultimately what, what we have to be thinking about when we're thinking about, corporate song worship, so music that's within the church versus um, contemporary Christian music or mainstream music is the intention behind it. And so I think for me, when I think about corporate song worship, I think of it more as um, discipleship, more as teaching. You're um, helping people understand who God is and who they are and giving them words to be able to respond to that truth and that reality. Um, I think the difference with contemporary Christian music and mainstream music is that that is not the intention with sure. what's being created. Um, so I think that for me, what helps to kind of delineate the difference is the heart and intention behind it. And then I think there's some practical things as far as like, you know, we want it to be singable. We need it to be accessible. We need it to be biblically accurate uh, and true in, in a church setting. And, and we have a little bit more freedom as writers and artists to kind of uh, not just stick with, like, the facts, <laughs> but to take a little bit more creative liberty okay. with the way that we express things sure. as a writer um, when you're writing outside of um, or without the kind of corporate congregation in mind mm-hmm. with your songs. Um, and, I mean, it, do you think there's a way to that those two things can sort of coexist or sort of influence each other in any way? Um, or do you think there's too much... Um, or do you think... Because... Let's see how I'm going to think about this phrase, the phrasing of this. Is, the, is, it, is there a danger in one in, over-influencing the other, especially mm-hmm. the... Sort of even even the contemporary Christian music sort of non worship scene kind of flooding into um, into the more worship session or kind of is there do you see problems with that or do you think there's a way they can kind of work together? Yeah, I mean, I think I think the thing that Christian music and mainstream music could kind of gain from corporate sung worship is is the idea of intention of right. going. 
Um, there, we have the ability to put things in people's minds and put things in people's mouths um, that can be influential. And so we want to um, be careful and not just self-indulgent with what we're creating. Um, so I think that's one of the ways that worship music can kind of influence Christian music and can influence mainstream music. Um, I think that one of the things that we, as as people who are predominantly in the church as worship leaders and worship writers, could learn from um, the culture and what's happening within the music industry there is, you know, is it art reflects life, mm -hmm. you know? So I think that if we're studying the quote art that's being made out in the culture, I think it helps give us some understanding of who people are and what they're struggling with and what their questions are and, and what they believe is true. And I think that we could write with that in mind a little bit more when we study what's actually happening in the world around us. Yeah, I think that's, that's really fascinating. I think the big thing that, um, and this is just kind of the Christian market in general, kind of gets stuck in uh, responding to the culture that's happening. And they're mm -hmm. like, oh, this is the thing that's really popular right now, so we're going to find mm -hmm. our version of that. I mean, I was just actually seeing, I just saw something on uh, Facebook. These people were talking about those old, uh, like, books that they used to have at, like, family Christian store and stuff where it was like, if you like Nirvana, then you'll really like this band. And it's like, first of all, no, that's yeah. wrong. I think somebody said, uh, they saw one that said, if you like Nirvana, you'll be into jars of clay. And it's like, what? Hold on a second. Um, no. Uh, yeah. I don't think that's this person, stretch. I don't think this person listened to Nirvana. Um, but this, this, this whole responsive element, which I think is, they, they've done a little better job. Mm -hmm. I think the culture just allows them to be on top of it a little bit more because we're sort of bombarded with with that with everything that's going on around us and it's not so much responsive these days um i mean i think my biggest concern is always is always been that it seems less um that the sort of christian culture is less concerned with um with making it good i yeah. guess um i was i was listening to a to a podcast this was years and years ago uh, with david crowder talking about like why why he does music the way that he does it because he's you know he's in very much left field sure. for for the Christian music community um, he does a lot of things that people would not <laughs> would not do um, and he just was talking about how the church used to set the standard for for art and mm -hmm. like a lot of the things like if you look at old um, symphonies and uh, the, some of the greatest paintings of the early of the early art they commissioned that stuff and they mm -hmm. said that we want the best mm -hmm. things that we can find and that we've seemed to have gone the other direction, um, which I think is not a good thing. Um, mm -hmm. And I think it's certainly something, it's the kind of thing that, that always kind of drives me a little bit batty about like listening to like Christian radio and you're like, oh, all this stuff just yeah. sounds the same and nobody seems to be wanting to do anything that's interesting or, or trying anything out. But sure. any, do you have any thoughts on, on that? Yeah, I mean, I think everything is very reactionary, I think. You know, even if you study the Reformation, they stripped churches of any kind of aesthetic beauty because they felt like it was too Catholic. They felt like it was too distracting to um, focusing on God, um, which is funny because that was kind of the... That was the intention with creating beautiful things is that you, it draws your mind's attention and your heart's affection to the beauty of God. Right. Um, 
I do think that um, Christian music in general and Christian radio in particular is looking to fulfill a specific niche. That's, that's very true. Um, and, that, and, and what they do, they do well. And that's why you can turn on the radio and you can't tell when one song has ended and another has began because it basically all does have to fit a very specific box of this long, this tempo, this kind of mm. lyrical content, this kind of style, all of that. And so if that's, you know, your highest aim is to make a living in the Christian music industry, you you have no choice really besides using Christian radio to help you do that mm -hmm. and tour as much as you can. Um, but that it, it can be very limiting then in, in what is called, quote, art right. that you're creating. <laughs> um, so I do think that there are a handful of people that are in a more uh, Christian music realm that are creating good music mm -hmm. that isn't necessarily the stuff that you're going to hear on Christian radio. Right, people for sure. like yeah. Josh Garrels and Audrey Assad and John Mark McMillan mm -hmm. and all of those kinds of people, they're writing good music that's creatively unique and um, rich in content. Yeah. <laughs> but I think that's the thing is that um, at least in my perspective, I feel like art should always make you think more deeply. And I think the goal with Christian radio is to be positive and encouraging. Yeah. <laughs> and when you are positive Watch and encouraging... Watch out, we're going to get soon. <laughs> yeah, I mean, when when you're trying to be positive and encouraging, that's that's a different goal. Yeah, absolutely. That makes you think more deeply. Um, but, and that was the thing that, that popped in my head immediately when you started naming off those artists. I'm like, because... They, I mean, I, I don't know the Josh Garrels and RJ Saad as as well as John Mark McMillan, but he, I mean, he has been open about the last couple of years have been really like, like struggling, struggle mm -hmm. for him, and you can hear that over his last couple of records mm -hmm. that there's been the sort of, I don't know that he would call it a, a crisis of faith, but you can certainly see that there was this sort of push and pull going on with him where he mm -hmm. was very much like, uh, you know, is this the thing that I do? I still hold these truths sure. to be. The, you know, my life, and I, I think, as you say, with the Christian radio sp specifically, if you have any doubts about what, about what you're thinking or if you want to question your, your beliefs and, and struggle with them, then you, you're, you're not going to be welcome in, in, that, yeah. in that sphere, which is yeah. super interesting. Well, I mean, we certainly don't have any space, it seems. We don't do well, and I don't know if this is just a Western American Christian thing. We don't do well with mystery. We don't do mm -hmm. well with things that we don't know, and so I think that's what the goal of Christian radio is partially to do: is like to help you know exactly what you know. And um, they aren't. It's it is not a space for questions. It's not a space for thinking deeply. It's a space for being you know, quote, positive and encouraging. And um, that's fine if that's the goal, but I think right. what it ends up doing is um, making our art pretty anemic and making people not really yeah. whole. Because the general majority of the, of the non-Christian public hears like, oh, that's what Christian music sounds like. Mm -hmm. And they don't even, they're not even aware of the other sort of side of it. Sure. So um, I think that's a decent segue into the sort of last part of the, of the questions here which relate to your favorite music mm -hmm. um so let's talk first about all-time stuff so your all-time favorite records what are they and what is it about them that that makes them important why do they matter to you 
Yeah, so I think the, the first one that I think of is um, Need to Breathe's record, We Are the Outsiders. Um, the Outsiders? Just, yeah, the I outsiders. think it's just The, the outsiders. outsiders. Okay, let's edit that. Yeah, it's fine. So, um, Need to Breathe's record, The Outsiders. Um, it came out about the time that Kelly and I were getting married and moving to Nashville. Mm-hmm. And we saw them play the Ryman at some point when we were there. And I remember they talked about how they wrote that whole record after showing up in Nashville and feeling like outsiders. <laughs> they felt like, okay, we don't fit That's here. That's isn't it? <laughs> yeah. And so it was funny because obviously Kelly and I are moving to a new place that we felt like the new kids. We yeah. felt like the outsiders. And so that record has been particularly special for us as a, as a couple and just me personally. Um, musically, I love what they do always, but I think that record for me is mm-hmm. kind of a high point for them as far as their career is concerned. Um, Matt Carney's record, Young Love, is probably one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. It's one that I had the opportunity to help market to the Christian industry. Um, <laughs> How did that go? <laughs> uh, there were some songs on there that people liked. Because um, he was like the guy like the up-and-coming like indie guy in this in because i remember when his uh-huh. first album came out i was working at a family christian store and everybody was like oh this is this is it uh-huh. and then it and then he just kind of whew, dissipated <laughs> i think he got maybe a little too weird for everybody which is funny because like i think his first record is the strangest one <laughs> <laughs> I, I agree it's some kind of like rap yeah, yeah. singer the acoustic songwriter, singer, songwriter kind rap. Of spoken word yeah. thing happening um and this this one was definitely more poppy um, than even any of his other records i mm-hmm. think um but yeah i mean it, it i think it had three or four singles Ooh. that went number one at christian radio as i recall um uh, but yeah it was it, that's a fun record just you know the whole thing is about like it says young love and that felt very much like where kelly and i were at at the point in time too is um, you know, new and not a lot of responsibilities mm-hmm. and living on your own for the first time and all those kinds of things. So, um, Just that's wait, one wait for the sequel, old love. Yeah. Well, I remember when he came in to talk about, to the label, to talk about what the next record was like. And we were like, so is it going to kind of feel like young love? Do the songs sound like that? He's like, um, no. We were like, okay, so this is going to be like honeymoons over a record. <laughs> and he was like, I mean, a little bit, yeah. So, awesome. I mean, and if you listen to the next record, it does sound a little bit like, yeah, yeah. it means a little bit over. <laughs> yeah, so good. So good, just not as kind of lighthearted and easy breezy. Um, Matthew Perryman Jones' record, Land of the Living. I think Matthew Perryman Jones is incapable of writing a bad song, writing a bad melody, writing a bad lyric. Nice. Uh, yeah. And or at he, least he doesn't show us that. No, he definitely doesn't. But he wrote every single song on that record by himself, which I think is pretty impressive in general. Um, but he is just a, I feel like the kind of quintessential Nashville singer songwriter artist. And we had the chance to see him a handful of times in Nashville and he just puts on a great show. I, I just like his music and that record uh, lyrically, it does something to me every time that I hear it. So, um, let's see what else we got. What else we got? Leagues record. Uh, you belong here. Yes. Um, first of all, I think Thad Cockrell, the lead singer, has one of the best voices, most unique it's voices. It's definitely one of the, I was going to say, it's definitely one of the most interesting <laughs> and like, oh, there it is, there it is. Like, you yeah. can't miss it when you hear it kind of things. Yeah, well, I, I remember loving his uh, solo work, and then when I heard that he was going to be doing this band with Tyler Burkham and Jeremy Lati- Latito, 
I was like, okay, this is really interesting. I like all three of those guys together. And I think he put out some music on Noise Trade with Leagues, and I was like, okay, this is interesting. This mm -hmm. is kind of a departure from Thad Cockrell's acoustic singer-songwritery type stuff. Um, and Kelly and I went and saw them in Nashville, and they started out with Spotlight, so it has that mm -hmm. like rolling drum riff that comes in, and then that like dancey uh, uh, electric piece. And I remember looking at Kelly and going, what is happening? <laughs> Because it was so, it was so, so, so different than everything else that was happening in Nashville at the time. Yeah. Everything was like, here's another song about, you know, leaving your girlfriend or whatever. <laughs> like everything was so kind of melodramatic Country. and yeah, very dark and, and moody acoustic stuff. And this was not that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> For sure. So that whole record is one that I've listened to a bunch. Yeah. And, and I, I got to say that follow-up is one of my all-time like major disappointment <laughs> it's just <sighs> I, I mean it's fine there. yeah it just wasn't i was so because it took him it was like five years or something like that wasn't it yeah and then, i mean Too i understand long. a lot of things happened because they lost a couple like yeah they lost a couple of people like the whole rhythm section or something like that wasn't it or yeah I, yeah because they were five and then electric. they were down to like three three yeah. guys for the second one and they certainly made decisions based on that because <laughs> it's a lot more electronic driven yeah. it just yeah. didn't do the I, yeah yeah i agree i think the first record is pretty special um i think i had too high expectations for the second record. probably but you know that's just me personally yeah no i was with you on that one uh the last one i i go back to pretty frequently is colony house's record um when i was younger mm -hmm. i think i know that's one of your favorites yeah i got a got little bit of it tattooed in my arm exactly. so yeah um but i feel like i mean Caleb's voice is, uh, again, another kind of unique voice that cuts through music in a different way than I've ever heard before. Um, but I feel like even just the content of that record, lyrically, the whole thing is about grief and mm -hmm. loss. Yeah. And I feel like... For like a 21-year-old, which yeah, is just insane. Yeah. Like, or 22 I, or whatever he was, he was really... I, yeah, I feel like he... <laughs> thought so deeply about it and the other thing that I appreciate about it is that I felt like um I feel like sometimes artists can use their music to work out their own kind of <laughs> trauma mm -hmm. <laughs> and issues and the thing that I appreciate about um what Colony House did with that record is that it's very clearly about grief but at the same time it's very clearly been worked through mm -hmm. to a point where I don't feel like as the listener it's getting worked out on me. Right. He's worked it out enough to be able to share and not also make me feel like I'm now having to yeah. process your grief mm -hmm. on your behalf. You yeah. know what I mean? Absolutely. And I think the thing about in the way that it ends up working out on the record is that it the sort of it's one of the best like put together like mm -hmm link like the way that the, the the songs are are put in the order of the songs is well it's kind of that story very linear storytelling where you can see the beginning of it is there's there's some some darkness in that i mean even like silhouettes is mm -hmm. a song about, essentially if you think about it mm -hmm. it's about darkness mm -hmm. because you're in the dark until the light shines mm -hmm. and it's a, it's funny to think about it because it's this big like upbeat like pop song but if but the the central tenet of it is you're in the darkness until mm -hmm. the light comes, which is just kind of sad. And mm -hmm. um, if you, but the way that he kind of moves into this 
like this is the way my life was and then the way that the ending excuse me the ending of the record is so sort of triumphant in this mm-hmm. like we I got through it kind of mm-hmm. thing this horrible thing happened to me um, uh, which and the, the interesting thing is even if you don't I, well I mean I can't say even if you don't know because I know the story the background of what of mm-hmm. where that trauma is coming from um, or at least part of it is, is coming from uh, I wonder if they would work on the same level if you didn't but sure yeah I'm with I'm totally with you on that yeah that's one of my favorites yep those are some of my go-to favorites so on that note <laughs> um so talk to us about things that you're listening to lately um or and or anything that you're looking forward to for the rest of uh this year <clears throat> I don't do as good of a job <coughs> I don't do as good of a job keeping up with um what is coming Mm -hmm. um and i feel like i've been going through a phase where i'm more uh podcasts and audiobooks than i am listening to music for some reason um but some of the stuff that i've been listening to recently it's funny because it feels very extreme so one band is called hush kids it's Mm. this kind of acoustic folk stuff very singer-songwriter Harmony the whole way through, you know, verse, chorus, bridge, all sure, that sure. stuff. Um, and then I jumped to like Lennon Stella, who is uh, Macy and Lennon, who were the, um, or Lennon and Macy, the two sisters that did like viral videos when they were really young, singing songs. And they were on the TV show Nashville okay. as actresses. I must have missed that. Um, Lennon's got a crazy kind of cool smoky voice mm-hmm. um but she's been doing this very kind of pop dancey music and i like the juxtaposition of her voice against these kind of um cold sounding uh production mm-hmm. elements Interesting. um but she writes with all these nashville songwriters so it still has this very kind of country storyteller type of vibe in the way that she approaches her songs mm. So that's good. I like that. Um, Moda Spira is one of them that I have been listening to a lot recently. Uh, Latifa Alatas, who was uh, is Page CXVI as well, so she does okay. these rewritten hymns. Um, she's got one of my favorite voices, but um, she wrote a whole record about her divorce, and it, it, like I think I bawled through the entire thing because <laughs> um, she had a podcast too <laughs> where she. Uh, talked about each song that she wrote and why and where it was coming from and and even the approach to the production and all that and so that's been one that I keep coming back to frequently and then um, the last one I've been listening to has been a lot of Maggie Rogers too um, who you know had again another viral video with Pharrell where he came into her class at NYU and a bunch of students were playing songs for him and he was giving critiques and when she played her song Alaska, which is um, my least favorite song on the whole record, um, he just stared at her and said, "Wow, I have nothing to say about that." Oh wow! Um, good old Pharrell. <laughs> good old Pharrell. Here, clearly, I clearly don't watch enough YouTube. Is yeah, what I'm clearly learning not. From this, from this uh, <laughs> story that you're telling me here. Yeah. So I, th- she's been one again. I think similarly, it's these very kind of pop melodies and pop production with just really. Um, beautiful storytelling in the way that she approaches her songs and she's her voice is pretty incredible too interesting I've also seen she she and um, Len and Stella have done a lot of like videos where they'll just be on acoustic guitar playing their songs and that's one of the things that I like to see is when 
a song holds up with pop production as well as it holds up yeah, when you're yeah. just sitting with the guitar. I, yeah, I, and I agree. Um, that's always been my, my, my thing is that good songs are good songs no matter how they sort of get worked out. Sure. Um, and then, and this is my, sort of my argument against like covers of bad songs <laughs> and people who are like, oh, well, but I, I know that, you know, I don't like Justin Bieber, but I really like this Justin Bieber cover by this band that I like. And I'm like, well, <laughs> I still think you don't like Justin Bieber and you probably still don't even like the song, but you're giving it a pass because I'm like, a bad song is a bad song, regardless of whether or not it was you know, played by your favorite band or not. Um, so I think that's very interesting. Yeah. Okay. So. Um, one, did you have anything else on that? Was that the end of that list? Okay, cool. All right, so one final question, and this is the question that I'm asking everybody um, to kind of sum up uh, their final thoughts. Um, so the past podcast is called Things That Matter To Me. Um, so the last question is, if you had to sum it up into one thought, why does music matter to you? One thought would be hard, but I guess that... You know, it could be a long thought. Well, you know, a run-on thought. Yeah, I mean, I didn't say one sentence, I just said one thought. Fair enough. Um, Yeah, I guess, ultimately, I think the thing that is impressive to me about music is that it isn't just this um, singular experience, but um, we experience music with our minds and with our bodies and with our emotions. And I, I don't know of very many things that can kind of connect us as holistically as individuals, but also connect us to a group of people. Um, you know, when you're listening to music together, when you're singing music together, when you're seeing a band perform, um, those kinds of things, I think music matters because something bigger is happening than just the singular experience um, here in this moment. Awesome. See, I think that's a great answer. Great job, Aaron. <laughs> well, Aaron, thank you very much for, for joining me. This has been fun, listening to your, your comments. I didn't know any of those artists that you told me about the things you've been listening to. Um, so, you should. Well, now I have something to go, to go check out. There you go. Um, and and those, of us, those of you who are listening can, can do the same. So, um, so I think we're all done. So I'm going to go ahead and finish things off here. Uh, so as always, folks, be sure to check out the Twitter and Instagram pages. Um, they are at uh, TTMTMPod, um, and you can check out both of those pages on Twitter and Instagram Instagram, sorry, for more information on the podcast, or you can uh, talk to me about why these things matter to you. Um, you can also send me an email at things that matter to me pod at gmail.com. Um, and, you know, we can interact and all those good kind of things. Um, yeah, so we're going to continue the conversation about different things moving forward. Um, again, Aaron, thanks for, uh, for being here with, with me. We had a lot of fun. Um, until next time, this has been Robert Morrison, and these things matter. Mm-hmm.